Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm one of your hosts, Yucca. And I'm the other one, Mark. And today we're talking do-it-yourself ritual tools. So we've got a pretty big list of fun kinds of things that you can be doing. But before we do that, we actually want to get into the why, maybe. Why would you want to be making these tools yourself rather than just buying the really gorgeous one that you see on Amazon or wherever it is? Right. The 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 first reason is obviously expense. You know, there are some very beautiful occult ritual tools that are made out there and they they cost a lot. If you have that money, then it's fine to spend on those. But beyond that, there's the environmental concern mm-hmm. about the, you know, putting one more thing that's eventually going to find its way into a landfill into the, the material stream and all of the associated packaging and shipping and all of those kinds of things. So those are, those are things to be cognizant of. But also there is that when you make something for yourself, you feel more deeply connected. When we talk about sentimental value, that's what we mean. We mean that that something has a, a personal meaning to us that's associated with the story you know, the story of how you made it or where the materials came from or Mm -hmm. what was happening at that time in your life. All of those kinds of stories that sort of cling to the object and help you to to have a deeper emotional relationship, all of which is rich material for doing rituals. Right. Yeah. And they, and these are things that can, they can build on each other, right? So you Mm -hmm. have the ritual in which you're making the tool and then the first ritual that you use it in and then the next one and the next one. And it starts to have this this long relationship that you have with it, that you have that association every time you pick that up, that, oh, it brings you back to those. Right. 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 Yeah. So I'm a big believer in this. And maybe some of that is because at many times in my life, I've been really broke. But it's also, I mean, I've, I've said this quote before, but it really stuck with me, which is probably why I've said it a bunch. Uh, Morning Glory Zell once said to me, you know, if you can't do it with a stick you picked up on the way to the circle, you can't do it at all. Mm-hmm. And that may be a little broad, but I do think that Rituals that are effective are a function of skills, not just tools. Right. You know, the arrangement of a bunch of physical objects doesn't make for an emotionally powerful ritual. And so the tools that we make, if they're meaningful to us, they can be more impactful and can help us to, to enact a more, a more compelling, powerful ritual. Right. And we should note, you said skills, right? Mm -hmm. And skills are things that we build through practice. Yes. You don't start skilled at anything, right? Humans start with a few instincts. You know, we can cry and we curl when we fall and we know to to nurse and blink if something's coming our way. That's about it though, right? Uh Everything else, walking, talking, all of everything. Those are all skills and ritual is skill too. Yes. Yes. And and building your tools, creating, crafting those, that's a skill as well. And you don't have to be some incredible artist or craftsman for that, for Not you to all. still be able to build that relationship into your your items that you're using. Right. Right. And so we've talked about the various kind of core ritual skills in podcasts before skills like drumming and movement and public speaking and singing those kinds of things that can be powerful movers of emotion Mm -hmm. in a ritual right um that's not really what the focus of this episode is this is more about you know what about the material stuff that you use 
when you when you lay out a focus or altar in order to do a particular ritual well what's there and what what does it say to you to see those items there and one of the things that can help those items to speak more loudly is for them to have a real association with you right. so making it yourself can be a really cool thing to do and in some cases making it yourself can be as little as peeling the bark off a, a stick mm -hmm. you know that that that's it that's all that there is you've got a stick and you like the shape of the stick and you peel the bark off it and now you've got a wand mm -hmm. right it doesn't have to be you don't have to put silver inlay in it it's it's just a stick you like mm -hmm. and you and it can be something that everything is meaningful to you too right in the because if you buy that beautiful silver inlaid wand maybe it has some particular symbols on it or it's got some runes or something in it that you don't it doesn't mean anything to you or mm -hmm. it does and it means something very different to you than it meant to the person who made it and it doesn't quite have the right association but that stick could be just the right curve for you it or could. it could be the right species or it just it just felt good in the moment right or you're yeah. designing when you're laying that out maybe you, you've got your cloth and and you can put it the way that is meaningful to you and it's going to be completely different to someone else but it gives you that that freedom that you wouldn't necessarily have if it wasn't you crafting it and creating it yourself right right and i do want to put in a shout out for artists absolutely you know yeah. it it if you want to contract with somebody that you know has a lathe and turns beautiful wands and have them do a bespoke wand that's exactly you know the way that you want it to be out of the materials that you want it to be you know more power to you we we need to support our local artists i'm i'm all in favor of that but you don't have to have a sort of professionally crafted wand in order to have a wand that will feel good and work in the context of your ritual practice. And you don't uh, really need a wand either, right? But no. if you do want one, then awesome, right? So, yeah, so don't think that anything we're saying here says you have to do this. You don't have to have a wand. You don't have to have, you don't have to anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, really kind of core to what our whole practice is about this it's not science-based paganism is not authoritarian you know we we think of religions very often in that context because the big mainstream religions are authoritarian but that's not our orientation to things our our spirituality is creative and expressive and so you know, doing something creative or contracting for something creative that expresses something that you feel, that's all to the good. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if you want something that feels good in the hand and you can kind of point, you know, directing energy, it feels like, or, you know, march around in a circle, cutting a line between what's inside the circle and what's outside the circle to define a safe space, then something like a wand can be a really nice thing to do. I have several of them that I use for different purposes. I have one that is just a stick from Redwood, from a Redwood. And mm -hmm. it's a very nice stick. I've had it for a long time. And there it is. It's a stick. I have one that is a piece of dried kelp uh, from the ocean. And I mean, you can still kind of see salt crystals on it and stuff. You know, when I'm when I'm wanting to invoke that sort of primal power like the ocean has that, you know, the, just the sheer force and, and power and history and life bringing capability and all those things that we associate with the ocean and with water, then that's generally what I use it for. I have one that's a human feet that I, that I've used as a wand in, in hallows circles, ceremonies and I have another that is an oak branch that has a little silver dragon kind of twisted onto it that I, I put onto it. But it's a very special oak branch to me because it was part of a larger piece that I found in a state park. And I, I took it off of that piece and I've seen the rest of it 
on hikes many times. Mm. So it feels like I'm, it's connected to the land here. And so you see me telling these stories about these, these items. You can make items that have stories like that too. So something to consider. Right. And just with wherever you are. Mm -hmm. So wands aren't something that I do a lot, but I do have one that's actually made from a choya skeleton. Mm. So in the Southwest, there's, we've got lots of different kinds of cactuses. And one is this one that they often grow these straight, long stalks. And then when they die, it leaves behind this hollow wooden tube with holes in them. And they're just, they're just beautiful. And we've done all kinds of things with them. One of my favorite things is actually to fill them with uh, suet and give it to the the birds because they have a Mm -hmm. fun time with that. But one of these ones I took and it was a walk that I had done with my, one of the first walks that my daughter was able to do when she was big enough to do one of those. Mm -hmm. And we brought it back and we oiled it. And when you oil it up, it just becomes just so beautiful. And there are a couple of little spines left to take the mo- those off. And so now that has that, all of that association of the, the walk and the land and the birds, and then the oil, which was the tallow from one of our cows and like that yes. whole thing there. So it's just, it's nice to hear you talk about redwoods and things, the, your experience with that, because we're doing the same thing in very different places. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And and that's a great example of, you know, part of what we always talk about here is paying attention and getting better connected with what's happening in nature. What are the what are the the natural artifacts that are sort of characteristic of where you live? You know, what are the the trees? What are the the plants, you know, if you're in a coastal area, are there seashells that are particularly characteristic? I have an abalone shell that I've used for many years for mm-hmm. making offerings, pouring libations, burning incense, all those kinds of things. And that brings me to the next kind of thing you can make, which is a concavity that will hold a liquid. So a cup. Or a vessel. A cup or a vessel of some kind, (laughs) whether it's a dish or a chalice. Generally speaking, it's it's very common for people to put something liquid on their ritual focus. I mean, it might be a glass of wine, it might be a bowl of water, it might be a it might be a potion that you make, right? That you stir up with herbs and essential oils and you know, whatever, whatever else needs to go in there in order to put all the associations together. You can do that in, you can do that in a large sense with a cauldron, which is another thing that many of us want to have. And unless you're a really good blacksmith, I recommend purchasing that particular one, that, (laughs) that, that particular thing rather than making it, but you can also do it in a bowl Mm -hmm. or in a chalice. One freak activity in many pagan rituals is a period of eating and drinking. Mm-hmm. usually after the main working and it's kind of a it it happens during the time of gratitude when you're you're enjoying the fruits of the ritual and of being alive right mm-hmm. you're sharing breaking bread with the, the other people that you're working with if you are so there's a very community oriented feeling to that so having some sort of cup or chalice or wine glass or whatever it is, is another thing to have as a ritual tool. I have a a chalice from a local potter that I've used for many years. It has a motif of grape leaves on it for the the Which your region is. Yes, very famous for. So, but you can make your own, you know, you can, you can mold it and fire it or you can. And if you can dig the clay up too, if you happen to be somewhere, uh, we have several bowls that we've made from the clay that we dug up mm-hmm. and then fired it so we pit fired it on mm-hmm. our own land as well um, very nice yeah and so that but you can also make things now this won't work for holding liquid but you can still make clay you can still dig up clay and just not fire it right and use that maybe for and we should talk about this one as well for things to hold your fire or your incense or your, mm-hmm. your candles or things like that right Mm-hmm. Right. And that is another thing that very frequently goes on a ritual altar is 
some some form of fire. There's mm-hmm. something about adding fire to a ritual altar or focus that kind of says this is alive now. Yeah. It has it has this active dynamic chemical process happening. It's not just a static arrangement of objects. It's something that is dynamic and alive. And what it does with the light, it just makes it look like it's all it's dancing and and it can it has that ability to just pull you back. At least to me, it feels like this pulled back through time of the thousands and thousands of generations before us of just of us being gazing into fires and looking at fires, being around fires, cooking. It's just, you know, back inside the caves and there's this really powerful, just instantly can transform the the feeling. For sure. Yeah. yeah I, I, I feel the same way. I mean, we've domesticated fire ever since Homo erectus, which was well before modern humans. Mm-hmm. And there's just, there's something very magic and very, we have, we have a symbiotic relationship with fire in the, the same way that we have one with dogs in, in many ways. We would not be where we are now if it wasn't for our domestication of fire. So bringing that into the ritual space becomes very powerful. And especially if you're doing your ritual after dark, mm-hmm. which, which I tend to do for personal rituals and not so much for seasonal observations. I like to do those during the daytime more, except for Hallows and Yule. The rest of them I like to be during the day. Yeah. You know, I I share that and I wonder if it's like this for you. For me, the night feels a little bit more intimate. Hmm. It feels a little bit more, I feel a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more open. And so when I'm doing any personal work, the night just, I just feel more present with it than during the day. There's so much happening. There's so, you know, I'm still able to create the the separate space and this away from it to do a ritual, but there's just something about it at night or yes. at the transitions too. the dawn and dusk are also times that right. I'll yeah, do a I, lot, depending on what the ritual is. Of course. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I I feel the same way. There's something about, you know, standing naked in front of my altar with the candles burning and no other light in the room and it's just flickering. And there's this sort of otherworldly liminal space that gets created, bringing us, reeling us back in (laughs) that long tangent. That means you need to have a candle holder, right? right? You need to have something. And that can be as simple as a flat stone that you melt wax onto so that then you can stick the candle down onto it. Or it can be as elaborate as a candelabra or something like that. But you can make it's entirely possible to make your own in in a bunch of different ways. Sometimes people will use like a shot glass and mount that onto some sort of a base to use as a candle holder. You just have to be careful that you don't let the candle burn down too far because if it's not Pyrex glass, then, then the glass can break and that's no good. Yeah. Which is something that going back to the fire, just as a note, if you are having some sort of fire, like a fire circle, something to be aware of is to be careful about putting rocks into your fire or next to the fire. Oh, yes. Because if there's moisture in them, depending on the type of rock, they can actually burst and you don't want to get hit by that. Yeah. So just as like a quick, like little aside there that reminds me of it. That's a um, really good point. And my, my experience with doing fire circle festivals has been that, yes, you have rocks in the fire, but you let them burn for 24 hours before you have people gather around them, right? Right. So that if any of that exploding that was going to happen has already happened. And you definitely don't want to be pulling like boulders out of a stream or from a from a stream bank that's dangerous. Yeah, right. Because it could seem like I, I see it being like a beautiful thing of putting the rock in and then you come and get it the next day and it's warm, whatever. But like with all of these things, especially when fire is involved, whether it's on your 
your altar inside your bedroom or whether mm. it's out around a circle you just just be have that part of your brain still on that's thinking about hey yeah you know what's how is this all connected well right? and you what's can help happen this- you can help yourself to feel less anxious and focused on that danger question by having the proper equipment to put a fire out mm-hmm. immediately to hand. Right. So, you know, if if there's a fire extinguisher in your house, bring it into your room if that's where your, your altar is and that's where you're going to do your work. Just sit it against a wall somewhere. It doesn't have to do anything. And you can get um, those little mini fire extinguishers. Yes. We actually have one in each room. I'm going to, you all are listening, but I'm going to hold it up and show Mark right here. That is right within hands. You know, there it reach. is. There is a yes. little one and they have little, not very expensive. I think this was like a $15 thing that, you know, you can hang them in your rooms and they're, they're, they last for a long time. A lot of these you can get refilled. And if they are starting to go down, then you can safe, you can look up some safe things that you can do with them in terms of making dry ice and things like that, which could be very fun for a ritual to have your dry ice to work with. Yeah. I've used dry ice in rituals before. It's really fun. (laughs) Yeah. You, because I mean, you, you put it in sort of a a deep vessel and and the fog just billows billows, out of it. And the way it moves across the floor. Yeah. So cool. So you could do some wonderful things with that. Going back to the candles, though, another thing that we've done now, this might not be the seasonally appropriate time, but we've done ice candle holders. Mm -hmm. So you can make ice. And what we've done before is we've taken the like the muffin liners that are the silicone ones so that you can get it off really easily. So you fill those with water. You put it on a little tray so it'll then fit in your freezer and then take the the silver line liners that come around tea candles and put something in them and weight them down so that it it is in your muffin liner that you filled with water and then you put that in the freezer and, and then it freezes around it freezes around it yeah and then you bring that out take the little silver liner out and you put the actual candle in there and then it it's beautiful the way that the light dances in the ice mm-hmm. um and you would, if you're using it on an altar, you're going to want to have a little plate underneath it because it does melt eventually. But if you're having it like in a, an outdoor, I could see people using this for like solstice or for February holiday, right? And just out with the snow or the cold and you've got the little tiny light in that vast darkness. Mm, very and that's nice. a really fun one too, if you've got uh, kiddos and you can freeze things into the ice as well. Ooh. So that's a good one to do. Yeah, nice. I like that idea a lot. That reminds me of another thing that you can do with candles, which doesn't require a candle holder. It just requires a paper bag, which is to make luminaria, which can be really kind of dramatic looking if you make a bunch of them like to line a passageway or a path Mm -hmm. up to a place where you're doing a ritual. You know, you, you put the little tea light in the bottom of the paper bag, wait with with sand at the bottom. Yes. Or dirt. Yes. Some sand or dirt to weight it down so that, you know, a wind doesn't blow it over and then light the bag on fire, all those kinds of things. And those are also known as faralitos. So you might have heard them called either way. Ah, little lighthouses. Yeah. The the luminarios, at least here, that's like a southern term. And then in the north, we call them faralitos. Ah. So, yeah. I like little lighthouses. That's great. (laughs) Faralito. Yeah, they're the little ones. They're beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's so, something that my, for Christmas Eve, my city does. It's a uh, tradition. And of course, it's got all the, like the Christian associations of leading Mary in and all of that. But it's still, it's still really very magical to be in the cold, dark. And hopefully mm-hmm. that'll start back up over the next few years. It's kind of, wasn't much of it the last few years. Well, Just, I hope so. Yeah. So You've got your fire container, mm-hmm. got your liquid container, <laughs> you've got your 
pointer slash cutter and we should talk a little bit about knives right because a knife is something that is very commonly used in rituals almost always used symbolic just as sort of symbolically cutting the the connections between two things or between a person and something in their life or something mm -hmm. like that but sometimes you also use the knife to inscribe a symbol in the wax of a candle, for example, or um, mm -hmm. maybe to do a craft project in ritual space where you're carving a piece of wood um, in the shape of something particularly meaningful. So right. having a ritual knife is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually have two of them, one of which is my sort of utilitarian knife that I, you know, cut things with, and the other of which is a an obsidian knife mm -hmm. with, with an oak handle that I made. Mm -hmm. And the, the point is sharp, but the edges are not. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely just a, just a symbolic knife. I've seen someone I know had a, I think it was actually like a little letter opener, hmm. but it was a fancy, it was like an Excalibur, like uh, made, but it's beautiful. You know, it's this little, and it's not very sharp. So you could have, your knife could be, an actual sharp knife, or it could be something that's just shaped like yes. a knife or a sword or something just kind of in that, that vein, just depending on what your comfort level is with it and your purpose. Right. So I would imagine the two knives that you described, you'd use those in very different circumstances, right? Yes. Whether you choose the obsidian versus your, your utilitarian one. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the utilitarian one doesn't even live on my focus. It, it lives down with the supplies because it's just this sort of crappy old knife that I use for this stuff. Mm -hmm. But, the, but the, the obsidian knife is on my focus and yeah. has been for 25 years or something. I don't, I don't remember when I made it. Maybe it's a little bit less than that. Now, this isn't in the, the realm of making, but I could see someone having like a real nice Leatherman on their focus, <laughs> uh -huh. right? I can see that as being a real, having a real strong association for them, especially if they were using it for, you know, its intended purposes. And then you're right. also using it like, oh, this is the thing that I used to cut this or to get it into this can or whatever it is. And when, oh, when the car broke down, I had it. And here it is. Now I'm bringing all of that with me into my ritual for this thing that I'm fixing in my life or I'm right. working on. Yes. And it, it means I have all the tools available to do what I need to do. Right. Right. All and I've invested in the, and I've invested in the really good ones. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My Leatherman tool is a miniature one. It's about four inches long made by Winchester. Actually. It's the only thing I've ever owned made by Winchester. <laughs> but it's very well machined as you would expect from a firearms maker. And it's, but it's identical to a Leatherman tool. It has the pliers and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And just, we are, we have no brand affiliations. We're all sponsored. None of that no, stuff. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that would be a strange twist. <laughs> that would be a really strange twist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, some other things kind of classics is a broom. Right. Yeah. I make a broom every summer solstice. I make a sun broom. I go out and I find a place where there's some tall wild rye growing mm -hmm. and that, that can get like five feet high mm -hmm. or four feet, five feet high. And so I cut it off at the bottom and then I use, and I, I unwrap the cord from the existing sun broom and I have a handle that is this kind of gnarled piece of oak that I found and then I use the new, the new rye and bind it with the cord, same cord again, and mm -hmm. tie it off. And it makes this broom. I do this on, on the summer solstice. And then it sits out in the sun all day on the longest day. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the year, it lives in my house. And, you know, long about January, when it feels like there's never going to be sun again, I can pick it up and wave it around and kind of <laughs> symbolically bring the feeling of some sunshine into my house. Oh, nice. Now you have another kind of similar thing. Don't you have a, like a dolly that you make and burn at, you make one time of the year and you burn it another yeah. time of the year? Yeah. I, I, 
use corn shucks to make a little doll that's called the rain baby <laughs> and that the rain baby is born at at river rain which is the february holiday it's like Imbolc or bridget but where i live it's the time when it's raining cats and dogs and will be for a month or at least mm-hmm. when, when we're not having a drought it will and so i make this little figure out of corn shucks and it sits on the focus for all of the sabbaths going forward until we get to hallows and then it burns in the fire mm-hmm. and dies and then it's time for another one when we come back around to February. So, and people make little corn doll, little dolls or poppets for any of a variety of different kinds of reasons. Some people make them to represent their family, Mm -hmm. you know, because they feel really connected to their family and want their family members with them when they do rituals. Others do them to represent people they don't like, so they can (laughs) mean things to them. It just all depends on what you're trying to, to get done. Yeah. So those are things, right? Mm-hmm. And also going back to the broom, you know, the broom can be used for sweeping things away in ritual, right? Yes. For cleaning up or for breaking the ritual. Let's say you did like opening up the, the circle. Let's say you, you literally put something down like salt or a colored sand or something like that, or you drew in the, the dirt where you're standing mm-hmm. Then you can take the broom and sweep that away sweep it away exactly what works really well for that if you don't have sand i mean sand works really well and it's obviously completely benign so that's a really good choice but baking soda Mm. it's very it's 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 cheap Mm -hmm. it's brilliantly white and it's harmless it won't well and in this case if you're working inside and you're on a carpet then you can vacuum that up isn't that supposed to be good for cleaning your carpet well it's supposed to be good for the smell oh yeah for any smells that have soaked into your carpet it's supposed to be good yeah Mm. so if that that happens to be the time that the landlord who should not be coming into your house without asking but if that if they are and they find you sprinkling something on their carpet you're you're cleaning right right (laughs) (laughs) yeah well what about other things that you can mark with because that's something that you're often going to want to do right you're going to be wanting to mark the ground or mark a a candle or maybe even your skin draw a sigil any Mm. of those kinds of things i do have a old-fashioned squib type pen Mm -hmm. you know with the steel Mm -hmm. you know that that you dip in an inkwell and and run and rub with and and the shaft of it is a bone. I bought it at a Renaissance festival a long, long time ago, and it's really cool. So that's what I use when I'm doing like ritual inscriptions on parchment and stuff like that. I find that just having really quality materials makes a difference when I'm doing rituals. So I wouldn't use you know, a legal pad. Instead, I would get some good quality paper from like an art store to do that kind of work Mm. and there's something that's just wonderful about you know dipping the pen into the ink and you know (laughs) that scratching sound on the paper and yeah it's great yeah but besides that like if you wanted to write something on yourself for example first of all make sure you've got washable sharpies that you're using or not a Maybe not a Sharpie. I mean, it's your skin, but think about, you might want to use something like face paint or henna or something like that. Sure. Right. The because henna, remember, mm-hmm. the henna is going to stain though. Yeah. That, that would be purposeful, right? If you were doing yeah. something like a sigil, but yeah, don't, I wouldn't suggest writing your, your innermost vulnerable thoughts on your arm and then go into work the next day with everybody reading that. Yeah. But if you could, if you can, put that into a sigil form or put it into, you know, something like that. But face paint is a great option or for a less toxic option, like the children's markers. They're still not great, that's, but like those that's washable. What I mean. oh, that's okay. what I mean, the washable ones. Yeah, okay, not, my, my apologies. Not, not I thought you meant sharpie. like a Sharpie, like a permanent marker. Is that, no, yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad but, you clarified that. Thank you. Yeah, but but some of them, so yeah, your your kids' markers or you can actually get face paint markers. Mm-hmm. Still, they're probably not fantastic to be putting on your skin. 
Probably. But you could also, you might not be able to write very well with these, but if you're thinking about trying to be connecting with your land where you live or the park near you, there's all kinds of plants and things that you can use to make little dyes with. Yeah, they'd make pigments for sure. And that can be just a fun rabbit hole to go down, right? Right. Find out, you know, what are the... Just be sure you got the right plants. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, it's better if you're, you know, you want to be careful when you're, if you're consuming any, any of those, but if it's just, if you're going to be staining paper or cloth, that's another one we should mention, right? The fabrics. Um, yeah. Um, lengths of fabric that you can use to establish the surface for your altar or focus. Mm-hmm. And those can be of various different kinds of patterns and colors, depending on the season or mm-hmm. the purpose of the ritual. I have some that are, you know, sort of spider web pattern and black. Mm-hmm. Others that are, you know, red and colorful and more springy and summery. Uh, it just, it depends on what you're working to do. But having those different lengths of fabric is a good thing to sort of stock up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can use them in, in so many different ways. You're saying putting it on the altar, but you could use it in dance or mm-hmm. as, a, as a symbolic curtain that you're pulling back or, you know, all kinds of, of things. Right, right. And they don't have to be super expensive. There are remnants at fabric stores, for one thing. And also even like sarongs, for example, can be mm-hmm. really affordable, cotton sarongs. And they have beautiful patterns on them. So that's another direction to look mm-hmm. if you have an international store somewhere near around you. Yeah. Another thing that I have that I really like using is a seashell, an abalone shell, because we have abalone that are native to the coastline near here where I live, but also because abalone was widely traded throughout the Americas. It was very prized. Um, by indigenous folks for use in various kinds of decorations. And it's been, you know, Pacific abalone, I'm pretty sure was found in the dig at Cahokia in the St. Louis area, you know, Southern Illinois. So obviously it was really prized and really valued. Otherwise, why would you transport it over all that distance? And, you know, yeah, you have to carry that. (laughs) That somebody walked it there. That's right. Yeah, That's, that's exactly right. So I, I really enjoy having one of those shells. I can use it to burn herbs in or to burn incense. Abalone actually have little perforations in them. Mm -hmm. So it's not very good for holding a liquid. There are little keyhole things in the, Mm -hmm. in the, the surface. But other than that, they, because of that opalescent surface that reflects green and blue and all those oh, so wonderful beautiful. colors they're yeah. so pretty they they really make a nice thing to have on an altar mm. but there are lots of different kinds of shells that would also make you know really be a nice thing for an altar yeah and i find that they are they're a good symbol of nature generally just of the beauty that nature can produce mm-hmm. yeah So are there any other kind of big categories? Because it's going to often depend on what kinds of rituals and the purpose and your specific, you know, individual tastes, but are there other big categories that people would be likely to, to want a tool in? Well, another thing that we talked about that isn't really so much a ritual tool as it is kind of a seasonal marking that we Mm. talked about before we started recording is a wreath. Right. People often make wreaths on a seasonal basis, maybe for the five stations of the wheel of the year. What I find to be a useful approach to that is to go to an art supply store or a craft store, but not Hobby Lobby. Yep. No, nope. <laughs> we don't go to Hobby Lobby. At least my Hobby family, Lobby. we don't go to Hobby Lobby. Yeah. We have a Michaels, but uh-huh. they're, they're a little bit better, but they're yes. not. Um, they're not they're not actively they're not actively homophobic they might actually be but they're not yeah. you know actively they're not pouring money people into, over into hurting lgbt people so but uh, back to the subject yes <laughs> you can you can buy a wicker ring mm-hmm. it's a woven ring of wicker 
that is serves as the base for a wreath. Mm-hmm. And then you can decorate that wreath with seasonal flowers and with ribbons and with all you know various kinds of nice things that remind you of the season and then you can hang it on your door on your front door or you can hang it up in your room or in your living room what in a prominent place whatever whatever seems appropriate to you but what's nice about that is that it gives you a project to do every season mm-hmm. and and it's sort of a declaration in a way you know okay spring is here yeah you know, put the new one up where i'm putting the new one up it's no longer late spring it is now summer mm-hmm. so and, and you can having that that pre-made ring is really nice but you can also make your own initial ring right mm-hmm. so take your the different trees that are meaningful to you and take some branches and you know do whatever the that particular tree is going to need to to treat it and then wrap that with wire and then you just swap out each um, season, you swap out what you have on it. Right. So you could you could start with the with that initial pre-made piece, or you can make it depending on what your finances and and what materials you have. Right. Right. It might make more sense just to buy it than to buy the wire that you would then need and the clippers that you would then need and all of that. Right. So, yeah. Right. And we we almost forgot the most important thing. Something to sit on. Right. <laughs> if you're going to be there for a while, you might want your nice, your cushion or your, what was the one, what was the name of the? Oh, the, the Buddhist meditation uh, cushions are called Zafu. Zafu, yes. For sitting Zazen, mm-hmm. right? And they are very comfortable to sit on. They're, they're densely packed layers of cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, as I get older, I find that sitting like cross-legged on the floor is increasingly painful. So I have generally gone to a chair at this point, but it, it is nice if you're, if you're laying something out on the floor, it's nice to be down on that level and with all the stuff uh, that's around you. So, you know, there are so many different ways to do rituals and so many different purposes for rituals that it's hard to generalize about what kinds of tools you might be likely to need. But these are tools, the ones we've been describing are the kinds of tools that you might come back to again and again. They're, they're, they're multi-purpose and they, they, serve, they serve good uses in a right. lot of different kinds of rituals. It's like building a kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, your cutting board. You're not going to need your cutting board for every meal. You're not going to need that particular knife for every meal. But, oh, probably going to a few times a week. It's going to be real nice to have the one that does the job that you want it to do just right. Right. I haven't bought or made a ritual tool other than a an ephemeral craft that's going to be you know, destroyed at some point or burned or something like that in many, many years. But there is a real satisfaction in knowing that you have all that stuff Mm -hmm. so that if you need to, if you feel the need to do a particular kind of ritual, you don't suddenly find yourself, oh, but this really requires a special knife and I don't have a special knife. Yeah. Right that kind of feeling. Oh, I did think of one other thing that you can do with a chalice. There are, I, I have two, I have two fun things to do with fire. So remember, the part of, remember Safely. the part about the, uh, the fire extinguisher. The first one is, and you can do this indoors. You just need to be careful. Isopropyl alcohol, 90% alcohol, not the 60% alcohol, but the 90% alcohol burns beautifully and it burns at a very low temperature. So if you have a chalice or, you know, something else that can withstand heat, mm-hmm. you can put a small amount of that in, in that container and light it on fire and flames will leap up and make a beautiful dance until all the alcohol is burned away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really pretty dramatic. And especially for banishing work, for dispelling things, mm-hmm. I've done rituals for other people where they really want something to go away. And boy, you know, if you slip the symbol of that into the the chalice or or font or whatever it is, pour that alcohol in and light it up and it's all (laughs) leaping and going. They can really see that it's going away. Okay. 
Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, it's cool. And the second trick, don't do this one indoors, is the use of a handful of instant coffee creamer, like Coffee Mate, mm -hmm. which is basically just fat and sugar in a powdered form. And of course, powders and dusts are highly explosive because they have a lot of surface area. If powders and dusts that are made of flammable material mm -hmm. are explosive because they have so much surface area, they burn very, very quickly. So tossing a handful of coffee creamer into a campfire will make this sort of fireball that will burst up from the flames. And, you know, if you're if you're in the midst of invoking something important and it's time to, you know, here's the climax of the ritual and then boom, you throw this <laughs> into the fire and kapow, the giant burst of flame comes up. It's really dramatic. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite ritual special effects. Yes. Oh, that sounds fun. And again, I just cannot emphasize enough. My, my state is on fire right now. Mm -hmm. Very, I'm right next to the uh, one of the largest fires we've ever had in the, the history of our state. So I'm just just remember your fire safety, everybody. Fire is wonderful and incredible, and it can also just consume everything. Yes. So yes. make sure that whatever you're doing, you've thought out and you're doing safely. Right. Right. Yeah. And candles. Candles particularly can be deceptive because the flame is so small, mm -hmm. but you don't want to get them too close to anything else or the flame gets a lot bigger. Yeah. Right. If you, if, if there's anything hanging over it, put your hand, if, if there's anything over, you know, above the candle, put your hand underneath it. If you can't stand the heat from the candle that you feel coming up, then move the candle because it's too close. Yeah. There's too much heat coming up. That's uh, a trick you can use to be safe. I usually use chimney candles on my focus because they're stable. They're enclosed inside a glass cylinder and they burn down and get farther and farther away from the lip of that. The as, chimney, are those like the saints candles? Well, except these don't have any saints on them. They're just sure. column, column. But, but it's the same. I like you would often find them with saints, but this is it's the same kind of concept. Yes. Just okay. a, a glass, you know, a tall, narrow cylindrical glass filled with wax and the wick. Hmm. Um, I saw one of those with Sagan on them once. That oh, I know. Make him roll in his <laughs> roll in his grave. There's, there's a whole <laughs> series of saints of science, and you can get other people too. You can get Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You can get Martin Luther King. There's a whole bunch of those, and I think that's pretty cool. I wouldn't mind having Ruth Bader Ginsburg on my focus right now. Yep. <laughs> Someone gave my kids a little storybook about her, and they're really into it right now. They want to read. They want to read the Ruth book. So it's like, oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So we didn't, there's so much, there's so much more. We should probably wrap up because we've been going for a while now, but just thinking about all the different like types of things that you could use in rituals and things that you can make. And you know, we didn't talk about braiding things, oh, and right. books and all kinds of things. Yeah, there, there is a lot to talk about, but the, the, the core point of this podcast is, you know, look around and see what are the things that attract you? You know, a, a lot of times when we're pagans, we collect a lot of natural things, pine cones and bones and all that kind of stuff. Well, what can you make with those? What, mm -hmm. what, what might you put together? Or maybe you don't need to make them. Maybe you just use them as ritual tools by themselves, like my redwood stick. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, be, be imagining in a different way what those things are. Maybe they're not just decorative. Maybe there's something that can have a symbolic meaning for you as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we need to tell you that next week is a very unusual episode of The Wonder because we are going to be recording this at the Suntree Retreat that Yucca and I are going to next 
person, in person will only be a few feet away instead of a few thousand miles. It is it is hard <laughs> to imagine, but that's actually going to happen. And, and some so, of you listening, we know, are going to be there as well. So that's I'm really right. excited for that. You can, if if you're in the Atheopaganism Facebook group, there's an event there for the Saturday Mixer, which says, you know, pay attention. There's a different time for this particular week for the for the 14th of May. And what you'll do is you'll log into the Zoom and you can participate with us as we record the podcast. We're gonna do a Q&A session and kind of a report about what's going on at Suntree Retreat, but mostly we're gonna interact with people who call in and just have a good time. So, and then the audio from that will be posted on Monday as usual, or maybe a little later because we may not have the ability to do that until after you get home. Yucca. Yeah, so it might, it, de- it depends on what, I don't know what the the technical setup is. You said that there's pretty good Wi-Fi there. There's pretty good Wi-Fi in the dining hall. Apparently it's a little spottier in the other buildings. Yeah. So I'll I'll bring everything and we'll hopefully we'll get it up at our regular time, but if not it'll probably be, you know, Monday night when I get uh drive back home. So it's so it'll be hopefully it'll be the same time, but we'll You'll get that. You'll get your little pop up when it comes. So depending on what app you're listening on. So. All right. Well, I am really excited for that. It's been coming for a long time. We've been talking about it and it's finally upon us. Yeah. You're about to leave too, aren't you? Because you've got a ways to drive to get since it's in Colorado and you're in um, California. California. Yeah. I leave Wednesday morning early. So I've still got a little bit of time. We're recording this on Saturday as usual. So I've, I've still got a little bit of time, but there's, oh, there's just so much to do between now and then. It's, it's very exciting. I'm just, I can't wait. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Yep. Thanks everybody. And hope to see you on this, on the live Zoom call next week. We'll post it in the, in the podcast notes for this podcast how to join next week great yeah so just look at that it'll be right above the transcripts as as usual and we look forward to seeing y'all yeah so all right have a wonderful week